This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about The Demolished Man by Alfred Bester, a 1952 novel, or 53 novel. It came out actually in uh, late 1951, and then uh, was turned into a paperback uh, after the serialization pretty shortly after. I, I like to think about how old this book is, and I still think it is really futuristic in many ways. What do you guys think? You guys read this before? I, I had read this back in the 90s. I had the the edition where it was uh, the purple and green cover with the big eye. And, and, but, but for a long time, I read this and I read um, the, Stars My Desti- the Stars My Destination in sequence. And for the longest time, I kept mixing up the two novels <laughs> together into one universe, which doesn't work. I, I it guess kind of like, does. But there's it no, kind of tra- does. There's no, yeah, I mean, there's, there's teleportation, there's teleportation in the one and psychic powers in the other. Mm-hmm. There's weird corporations in both. There's, there's computer, quasi computer intelligences in both, but they're not quite the same universe. They, they're almost like universes next door to each other. Yeah, they're m- sort of mirrored in that respect. Hmm. Mar- Marissa, is this your first time reading it or second time? Uh, this is my first time reading it. Well, what did you think? Um, I liked a lot of things about it, but I didn't love it. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was kind of, um, I don't know, like old-timey or, or kind of like hard to really get into. There's a lot, there, there are some really dated elements. Mm-hmm. Um, the role of women is very uh, 1950s. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. I could, I could see why they turn off Mercer right away. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was kind of almost funny, though. <laughs> it is pretty funny, actually. Um, there's, uh, there is something to the idea that you were saying, though, Paul, that they are almost in the same universe. The, there's a deleted prologue. Uh, I don't know if you guys got a chance to see, see that. It's actually, I'm glad it was removed from the regular book version because it, it's quite hard to understand what the hell he's even doing. If I had read that as the first few pages of the book originally, I would have not continued. Yeah, that confused me too. Yeah, it's very confusing. It's, it's very date. It very much would date the novel if it was still in there. Yeah, very. But uh, apparently, he did that in the uh, other one, the uh, Stars My Destination, and they didn't delete the prologue. I but think I think it's, think it's a little better. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's his second novel, right? This is his first novel, but I think it's. Uh, uh, despite Marissa's re- reservations, I think this is a pretty damn amazing book. Um, and I think it's because it packs so much into uh, such a short number of pages. It's It doesn't really, um, especially <laughs> that prologue really does it, it doesn't really baby you at all. It just throws you down and says, look at this world. Uh, look what's going on and, and there's so much going on in it. There's a lot of characters, but more importantly, 
there's a ton of ideas for for science fiction mm-hmm. per page. It's pretty amazing. I think that's what I didn't enjoy about it when I first read it because it, there was just so much. It was hard to track. Um, it is, and I think it might be better as not an audiobook. Yeah, I wondered that actually because then when I listened, I re-listened to parts of it, and then I liked it much more. Um, when I started to see what he'd been doing, but at first it was just kind of like, what is going on? Well, there is a lot of page play, um, you know, things going on on the page that you cannot see uh, in the audiobook, mm. despite, I think, it being a pretty good narration. It was a really good narration. Yeah. I love the narration. But, yeah, I had no idea that the the actual print book is so playful with the typography. It is. It's playful with the the placement on the page. There are, uh, you know, the sort of SMS style talk. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm sorry to say, you know, I use it all the time, and it's because it's faster, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. I did see something really funny when I looked up the Amazon reviews for it. There was mm-hmm. there's a review in there where someone's complaining about their ebook version has got you know, at symbols and <laughs> and symbols in it. <laughs> and I was I, I like, is he, is he kidding? Or? Yeah, I don't, I don't have the ebook. Well, but I, so I didn't know if they were going to do that there too. I wonder if they do the, uh, the, the textual play of, uh, rearranging words. They should be able to do it. Uh, w- one of the things that doesn't show up in, uh, in, so, you know, when we meet Jerry Church, for example, right? Um, he's an Esper two. In the text, the the paperback text, there is uh, a strikeout through the two. Mm-hmm. Ah, cool. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it 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 does sort of all this. Well, um, yeah, because he's he, because he's the one that's been uh kicked out of the guild, kind of. Yeah, so, and so, so that's yeah, it's, it's a textual clue to uh, his nature. Huh. It totally is, and uh, like I'm looking on the. The opposing page where we meet him, there's uh, this line. It says, the fat man sitting on the floor is Wally Cherville, architect two. The blonde sitting in his lap, and then lap is in brackets. And then there's uh, 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 to the power of two (laughs) Uh. beside that is June, his wife, who's an editor two. Right. And it's like that sort of play is really interesting especially considering you guys remember when he goes to the not to the antique bookstore but the regular bookstore what kind of bookstore it was no it was an audiobook store oh that's right yeah that's right that this is an illiterate society in the sense that they don't they don't read paper books at all ebooks right because there aren't aren't many yeah right there weren't many paper books around because because because, yeah because he had to find the old book with the games and cross Mm -hmm. out everything except the one game and it's just entirely plausible because there aren't that many paper books around anymore Mm Hmm. and so like just that little touch right that they've gone it's it's post-literate right i mean i think we're going in that direction I don't, you guys, when you start listening to audiobooks, it, it, it is a supplement and then eventually it's a replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not careful. Yeah. It, and you, and you don't, uh, you know, 
because it's so uh, awesome to have somebody reading to you. Yeah. You can do other things. It is, um, it should be maybe shameful, but actually it's not because it allows you to read things that aren't physical giant books, yeah. uh, you know, staring at a page well, while sitting in a chair. And it shouldn't be shameful because it's just going back to like, it's like old school. It's it like is. Oh, culture, yeah. Sitting but, around the campfire telling stories. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, or just having you know somebody reading in the, in the house and taking turns reading aloud yeah. as your entertainment. But I, I like that this future society has all sorts of little touches like that. Yeah. Where they've, I think this book will actually be a lot better probably as your first read as a paper book. Yeah, this is one where it probably is um, yeah. better to read it in paper. I agree. Things uh, the shape of the page is is part of it, uh, the typography, um, even the the font size changes for you know when it, mm-hmm. it's and and he doesn't play um, he doesn't play it safe and explain everything. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. lets you do a lot of the work, which I think is part of what makes it so fun. That's kind of um, great actually, because now that you send these images through of what the pages look like, I'm just like mm-hmm. the. And the narrator did such an amazing job then. I know. I don't know how he did made, that. Made, making sense out of, yeah. 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 And because uh, it did flow, right? It, yeah. Oh, yeah. Flow, I, flow I, perfectly. I never caught that there was anything weird about the text from listening to it. Yeah. It's, it's, um, <laughs> I'm curious though. God. Sorry. It, there were those moments where, um, they would send, you know, things like, uh, image of a laughing horse to each other. Like, is that? Do you know if that's in text I, in the book? That's not. There is no image of a laughing horse um, that I can find. Uh-huh. But um, you know what's also funny is that uh, there's more than one text version. So the original serialization in Galaxy has a little bit more of the uh, SMS style stuff than than the, the paper book. It's sort of the you know, the finished draft is the paper book. Mm-hmm. Deleted the prologue. Um, he changed a couple of uh, character names. Um, guy named Dollar Sign Dollar Sign Son <laughs> is uh, Jackson in the paper book versus the original serialization. And uh, the name of the corporation is also changed. Uh, ben Reich's company is called Monarch in the novel. Uh, the serialization, it's called, uh, uh, it's some religious name. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I so, think I saw that in the like, prologue. Sacred yeah. Sacrament, is that? Sacrament, that's yeah. it, yeah. Which is interesting. So um, this would be one of those books, you know, people sometimes talk about how we're going to have, like, these enhanced books with multimedia <laughs> stuff. Like, this would be the perfect one to start off that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you could imagine sort of a... Uh, seeing those horse images on the page. Yeah. yeah. Um, image of a laughing horse. <laughs> um, <laughs> the horsey laugh. The, the other thing that's really interesting is that, um, the world of the, the espers in this book is, it's pretty well cooked, but I think it's even better cooked in the, best adaptation of this novel ever which is uh, Babylon 5 
I, I tried to get Marissa to watch it. She <laughs> didn't get very far through it. And it is a very difficult show to uh, get into because the first season is terrible. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and yet essential. And yet essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't it's not the only thing that show is doing. So I, I, I did a tweet uh, early on in my rewatching of the Alfred Bester episodes of, of um, Babylon five. And I was realizing, you know, I, for many years, you know, I, I would say, you know, it's just, it's just Lord of the Rings in space. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not just that it's many, 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 it, you know, J. Michael Straczynski is, a fan of the written science fiction, not just, you know, he's not just doing Star Trek in space with the space station. They're saying, right. you know, it's, it's deep space nine, except with a lower budget or something like that. Right. It's not that it's, it's Dune. It's Lord of the Rings. It's, uh, Alfred Bester, uh, the demolished man and about 50 other weird little science fiction things. Almost everything that's in this book in terms of um, uh, sort of the science or system of uh, Psy, you know, the Psy core is, is what yeah. it's called in Babylon 5, is in uh, Babylon 5. Everything that's in this book is in Babylon 5. Yeah. There's, the demolition that happens in this book is unrelated to the Psy core. That's just a part of their society, right? Right. There's a whole episode where we meet a character and turns out he was a serial killer. Uh, and he's been demolished and replaced, uh, with a new personality. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's a good person now. Oh, funny. And is Alfred Bester is a character just named after him in the show or is he actually yes. a character in it? Alfred Bester is a character on the show who is, uh, the highest level uh, Psychor guy, and he's sort of the bad guy for you know how Powell's our good guy. Mm-hmm. He's the bad guy. Yeah, he, he's like a he's like a very dark Powell. He's he's powerful. He's strong. He has his own agenda, and he's deliciously played by by poor unassuming Walter Koenig, uh Chekhov from Star Trek. He turns into a wonderful villain in Babylon Five. It's it's probably the best role of his entire career. <laughs> it's a it's a it'd be a pretty amazing role for anybody. Um, but even though you know he was on Star Trek, this is a much meatier role. Um, he's a much more interesting character. He's sinister. He's he's evil. He's likable. Um, but he's also powerful and, you know, in a way that, you know, Walter Koenig's not a giant guy with giant muscles, right? In the show, he's, he's playing his age. Uh, but he, because he's a, a side cop, he is basically doing stuff that Powell to, there's a scene in, um, this book, remember on Spaceland where they go to hunt, uh, Hunt somebody down in Spaceland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they and it sort of it turns into the Hunger Games too, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> they have to go in hunting after each other, and yeah, um, they can't bring any technology. So Powell does this recruitment. We didn't even know what's going. On. I love how Bester doesn't tell us what he's doing until he's doing it. So all these people st- start sh- showing up for this vacation, right? They suddenly have to go on vacation. 
and then they spread out and psychically connect. And I thought, you know, he was manipulate, manipulating them evilly at first. But actually, they're doing it voluntarily because they're all members of the core, or the guild, as it's called, right? The guild, yeah. And then they have this communication. Uh, you know, he's not here. Oh, that's a bear, and watch out. How do you get down from <laughs> Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, and that eventually, you know, that scene is repeated in, in Babylon 5, but... There's also a scene in, in this book where it's not a scene, it's a whole part of the book where our hero, our anti-hero, uh, Ben Rank is in a world that's not real, right? Oh, right. The one where they capture Sheridan and they, uh, so train, well, not Sheridan, uh, um, what's it called? Um, Commander Sinclair and they try to find out what happened at the Battle of the Line. That's the one you think of, right? Well, there's there's that, but there's also um, a group of rogue telepaths in Babylon 5 get together and overpower uh, Bester himself. Oh, on that's the show. right. Oh, yeah. I forgot that and one, yeah. They, there's a scene where he comes in and he thinks he's, he's in control and he and his confederate shoot all the enemy telepaths and uh, and then he runs away thinking, this is great. I got to get out of here before they connect it to me. And it's all fake. He, we, we turn back after we see all the bo- dead bodies on the ground. We've turned to Bester and he's smiling and puts his gun away and says, oh, it's great. And then, and then we turn back and all the dead bodies are standing there together, you know, having projected into his mind what was the reality. And that sort of play with what does it mean to have uh, if if psychic powers were real, if ESP and uh, psi powers were real, what would that mean? That's what's so cool is this book is really smart about thinking about what it would do to a society. And Babylon 5 takes it just that little extra step. And all the hints that are in here about, you know, how they have a breeding program to create stronger. Right. Uh, and and how you don't get to choose in the guild who you marry that's because right. they're do, they're doing it that's that's all in Babylon Five but it's just up so that there is going to be a war between humans and mundanes or no mundanes and and, and telepaths yeah 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 I, that's one of the things I felt sorry for Bester because he did have someone he actually loved and he couldn't be with and she was trapped in the in the freezer. <laughs> And that mm-hmm. that humanized him, and when I was reading, this, I was like, okay, so okay, so Powell Powell is Bester, and and now so making all those all those connections down the line. It's Wait, a, you're talking about Babylon Five right now, right? Yes, uh, I was like, wait, Bester had someone in the freezer. Yeah, Bester. Uh, Bester the character in the, the freezer. freezer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but Powell in this book had, is, I, I mean that that little H E A sort of thing make me. I, I wasn't sure that was really well flagged out that uh that uh De Courtney actually was a latent telepath. I didn't Well, I think it's pretty good at the end. I re listened to the end. Yeah. Um the daughter Right is, That's what I'm talking uh, about. is this is actually uh Ben Reich's half sister, right? Right. And when Ben is killing De Courtney He's got uh, throat cancer or something, and he can't. He can barely speak. So when he, when uh, Ben is trying to kill him, he psychically screams to her, 
uh, just screams, and she picks it up. Oh, that's – oh, I completely missed – I must have been listening when I was on – Doing something or hearing somebody else, I missed that complete. Oh, yeah, that's that right. makes In the, sense. Okay, yeah, it it does, and you know, there's all sorts of weird, interesting things happening between the. So w- one of the things that again is in the book uh, that I think might help when you're reading it on the page a bunch of times, Powell and Reich, right? These are sort of just they sound like names, but. They're also, he does this in the, the Stars My Destination as well. All the names sort of have meaning. Yep. So Ben Reich is, means good money, right? Reich is riches in German. It's also, you know, the third Reich, it's power, sure, empire. Right, yeah, empire, yeah. Yeah, but Reich, uh, is money. And that's, remember, whenever he has a problem, he solves it by money. He, he made an enemy of his butler. Or his valet, he says, yeah. next time you yell at me, and, and if you do that, you get a raise, right? Sends people on vacation just to make them feel better about him being sort of kind of assholeish that morning. Um, and he, he solves all his problems with money. And then there's Powell, who doesn't care about money because he has power. Powell, Powell has power. Yeah. That is, he can, he, he, he doesn't command a group of telepaths, uh, to come help him track down, uh, a killer by bribing them, by saying, you know, I'll pay your vacation. He, he has the power of the entire Esper mm-hmm. Guild behind him. So he can just command them or ask them to come help him and they all have to do it and they do it. I was wondering that. And then he's got that dishonest Abe side of him as well, which is, I wonder if that's like some kind of Abe Lincoln thing. I think it is. Yeah. And then, and then there was um, what's his name, Jerry Church, mm-hmm. corrupted by the money. Yeah, he was, and and when that deal goes through, he doesn't take the money, right? He just wants back into the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because 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 of that intimacy between telepaths. That I'm, I, and again, now thinking about it in Babylon Five, uh, mm-hmm. when. When two tel- when the two telepaths make love and talk and they talk about like how it's such an intimate act that regular mundanes can't ever understand. That's right. Um, it's uh, it, the other thing is that going into the end, right? Uh, there's there's tons of psychology going on. This is a psychological, especially a Freudian book. Oh yeah, this is so Freudian. It's uh, so Freudian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, I don't believe Freudianism is at all, but I think it's really fun. And so if you if you like know a little bit how the Freudian psychology is supposed to work, um, this book works perfectly like that. And that was really big in the fifties, you know, uh, especially in New York, which is where. Um, uh, Bester was li- Alfred Bester was living, um, so I, I don't know if he was in <laughs> in therapy or just knew a lot of people who were in therapy. Yeah. But uh, I think that's the, the stuff I didn't like about it. Like I think that's what kind of felt a little it, bit forced and it is weird at the so end. dated. It is so dated. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but on the other hand, it it's really really interesting. So um, when we come to the culmination of the book, right? Mm-hmm. We've got Powell having defeated Reich, but I love that we don't know what demolition is until uh, we actually see it. Right? He's so afraid of demolition, and yet in the end, he's he's a good person again. 
which is so weird. And then get this. He demolishes uh, De Courtney's daughter, right? And then she becomes fascinated with him as a sort of a father figure and a sexy father figure, which is so creepy. Cr- yeah. yeah, super <laughs> creepy. Super creepy. But get this. He's got he's got all the power, right? He's got he's the high he's uh, Esper one, which is the highest in Babylon five. They do it the other way. It's it, one is the lowest and uh, twelve is the highest, right? So uh, they have room for progression, <laughs> which is fun. Uh, but also uh, because she's a telepath, a latent telepath, which they also have a lot of in Babylon five. Uh, Bonava, the, yeah, yeah, Bonava turns out to be a latent telepath. Um, and what's so cool about this is if you think about it, who is Ben Reich's heir? He's dead, right? Ben Reich's finished. He doesn't have any children, so it would be uh, his sister, half-sister. His half-sister. And who is the Courtney's heir? The half-sister. And the two biggest corporations in the entire solar system, which is the universe of this story, right, are owned by the Courtney and Reich. And so now all of the money is in the hands of this girl who's been built up from a baby to an adult by Powell, hmm. who is she is now in love with him, right? Completely and utterly devoted to him. He now has all the power and all the money. He is the actually the bad guy of this book. If you if you sort of squint a little bit, <laughs> right? yeah. but but he's. He's portrayed ostensibly as benevolent. I wonder in the writing about how much Fester was consciously realizing, okay, as you this this narrative lay out, okay, Powell's gonna wind up with the entire ball of wax, money and control over the guild. Yeah, uh, a, a lot you know, the reconstruction of of the girl, right? Uh, that actually happens in a Star Trek episode, the original Star Trek episode to Uhura. You guys oh, remember? That? Oh, that was a yeah, that was a. It was a terrible episode. Horrible episode. But it, what's funny is that it's exactly from this book. So Uhura, like I don't know, there's some mind probe comes in nomad. and accident. Yeah, Nomad comes in and sort of sucks sucks the stuff out of her brain, and so she's functionally a uh, newborn, mm-hmm. and they have to teach her in a matter of weeks her old job. Yeah, that that, that 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 was Star Trek. That was Star Trek logic that that could ever work. <laughs> no, it's 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 terrible. But that exactly happens to uh, to to Courtney's daughter in this, right? Right. And Barbara is her name. Yeah, that whole um, thing was so weird. It is so weird. And it's kind but, of it kind of creeped me out about Powell as well because it's, I mean, she's just kind of. Um, you know, she's a baby, so of course she's going to latch on to him. But it was kind of creepy that he, like, raised her. And then he's like, oh, she's kind of oh, yeah. hot. Even though I've just been, like, changing her diapers and <laughs> yeah. wiping egg off her face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is. It, no, no, it is definitely it, it is definitely creepy. I didn't it's inside super the 90s. Freudian, now, right? Yeah, it's, now it's like, ooh. It, it is super Freudian. And that's even, that's why, that's the whole MacGuffin is that we don't know until the end that he read or no until until reich um is actually killing his father right that that's the reason he's killing him is because he has a, a oedipal complex um 
he wants to kill his father and marry his mother, right? Yeah. That's that's the whole thing that's going on there. But I, I love that he misreads. And w- when we're reading the book, we misread it too, right? The code? Yeah, the code. Yeah. The, code. the WWGH or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We re- we just go along with it. And so this... uh. Is, they called this the inverted detective story in the Wikipedia entry for it, right? Um, where it, like, um, unlike a Sherlock Holmes story where you are trying to solve the mystery with the detective and the detective sort of just leaves a, uh, a few of his thoughts out in the process of detection and you sort of have to fill in the blanks if you're playing along. This one, we know who the murderer is all along, mm-hmm. but the things that are left out are um, are little details like uh, what the motivation is or why what exactly was said in a phone call or something like that. Yeah, I call it like a, it's like a how done it instead of a who done it. Sure. Yeah. And, or yeah, how to it, catch him is how how uh, another person put it. Yeah. Right. Right. The chess game between Powell and Reich. That's there's a bit Reich trying to stay one step ahead of Powell and Powell trying to prove trying to prove his case. I had forgotten that this novel was a large part of it takes place at that party and that it mm-hmm. is literally like a locked room mystery where they're trying to figure it out is. who did him who did it and why. It's it's really <laughs> well done. I, I I I know I know there have been thoughts about adapting this and you'd have to change some of the more questionable sexual elements of this novel. <laughs> Especially with Barbara, but I could totally see this being done as a as a TV miniseries over over, over like three episodes. You could totally do this. I mm-hmm. don't think that would be enough. I mean, think about uh, think about how the, when he's reconstructing the scene, Powell's reconstructing this what happened in that house. Right. They've got like little androids running around the house mm-hmm. in you know sort of a doll's house. It's very Philip K. Dicky. That's What's sort of going on in this book is that it's it's a Philip K. Dick style uh, sort of mind fuck, right? Mm-hmm. But also, everything you read by Bester, he, anger is the motivation. Hate. Right? Yeah, and there was a lot of anger in it. It's it's mo- it's all sort of you know rage and it, as a response to fear. Very right? very the, primal dark emotions. Yeah, and. And so, because of that, uh, you could sort of almost not see all the, you know, it's, it's got a huge solipsist section, which is not exactly what Dick normally goes for, but it's got the androids, it's got artificial people layered on top of, uh, people from before. Um, it's got false memories, uh, and, del- you know, just missing things out. When, I, I think that what he does in that sort of the thir- three quarter mark through the book, where he suddenly there are no stars in the sky. Oh, oh yes. That's, yeah. that's very Philip K. Dick. Yeah, that's my yeah. favorite, but I feel like there wasn't enough of it. Like, that's what I kind of missed was like the, the really surreal, weird stuff that Dick does. Yep. Uh, that put me in mind of a Star Trek episode, a Star Trek Declaration episode, actually, mm-hmm. uh, called Remember Me, where. Dr. Crusher gets caught in a warp bubble and the universe starts shrinking on her. Right. And I was thinking of this, okay, the stars go out and then the planets start disappearing 
And it thinks it yeah, could she's exploring the universe and it's only like a kilometer long or something. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. The computer, she keeps consulting the computer for information, just like... Uh, just like Reich does. Era. Yeah. And they said, there is no such thing as stars. Like, wait, what? Paris? There's no Paris. There's no Paris. That's so funny. Sun? There is no sun. Like, oh, no. Yeah, that... that, that that would be terrifying. I mean, that's a terrifying portion of the book, just to see your universe collapse. There must be something, maybe, since we're not steeped in Freudian psychology, might, there might be something primal and Freudian about that, but to collapse back to uh, to nothingness, maybe going back to the womb or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's just like this, that the whole death of personality, here's right game collapsed in on itself back to the beginning. Well, it's also, you know, like being in the trash compactor where the walls of the universe getting squished down. So that oh, nice, nice Star Wars reference there, Jesse. <laughs> well, uh, actually, that's one of the things that happens is, is that this is a uh, each, ca- especially Reich, right? We get a lot inside of his head, but we also get his his nightmare, right? Yeah, I want to read that opening. Man. Yeah. So I want to read that opening and then. Uh, think about what's going on here. So it starts, explosion, concussion. The vault doors burst open. What vault? That's his money, right? And that's what he is. His power comes from his money. Right. And deep right. inside, the money is racked, ready for pillage, rapine, loot. Who's that? Who's inside the vault? Oh, God, the man with no face. Looking, looming, silent, horrible. Run, 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 or I'll miss the Paris pneumatique. Look at this, right? Hmm. He's going to Paris. And that exquisite girl with a flower face and the figure of passion. There's time if I run. Who's the f- girl with the flower face? But that, is, that isn't the guard before the gate. Oh, Christ, the man with no face looking, looming, silent. Don't scream. Stop screaming. But I'm not screaming. I'm singing on a stage. And this is really cool. I'm singing on a stage of sparkling marble while the music soars and the lights burn, but there's no one out there in the amphitheater. A great shadowed pit, empty except for one spectator, silent, staring, looming, the man with no face. Now, remember the weird thing that happens at the end of the party? After he's killed Reich and he's run downstairs to play sardine? He's standing on the stage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And suddenly blood is on him. Mm-hmm. And we think, oh, God, he's forgot that he's like he got hit by blood and he didn't notice it. But that's not what it is. It's dripping from above, right? Right. It's it's a very Lady Macbeth sort of uh, out, out damn spot. It, it, it This opening dream is a yeah, but it's it's a. If you think about what's going on, this is actually his, uh, it's kind of like a premonition of his future, right? He's in the amphitheater, and of all the people the blood could drip on, right, it's him. And only he knows, we, we were so close to him at that point, we think it's him guilty, you know, you know showing blood from the guilt. And it is, but it's so close. Yeah, blood dropping down on him. Yeah, which is a dip, which is like a, a like a anointing and pointing him as the as the murderer. Yeah, and so when 
it drips on him, we see it as a sign of guilt, right? But the audience, they're not really important to this, the viewing. So that's, so when he is collapsed down to the universe and eventually we find out who the man with no face is, it's him, right? He's afraid of himself. Weird. Um, hmm. yeah, now I'm going to tie in, um, you've seen The Prisoner, right, Jesse? Mm-hmm. Final episode. Well, it, Remind it, me. Okay, in, in the final episode, he goes he goes to meet number one, and number one has a mask. He pulls the mask off. There's the chip mm-hmm. mask. He pulls the chip mask off, and number one is himself. Mm-hmm. It's the dark side of himself, dark mad side of himself that's been tormenting number six this entire series. The, yeah, he's he, it's all in his own mind, kind of, right? It is all kind of in his own mind. A man with a the man. I mean, the that's man with no face. Yeah. yeah. That's why you can't escape the village. You can't. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I just made that connection. Yeah, that made that connection. I wonder if Magoo and Ed the Demolished Man. I don't know. It, 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 the thing is, is, you know, notice how many references we can do to just Star Trek. Um, that's what I'm saying is like per page, this thing has way more than your average book. It, it, uh, I saw a comparison that it was compared to uh, William Gibson's Neuromancer, right? Sort of a, a first novel that makes a splash. Mm-hmm. And that book really has a lot of stuff, really a lot. Of, I mean, it's not creating everything new, just as this doesn't, well, you know, it's not all new. But with the amount of material that's going on in that world, the, the richness of the world and the shortness of the book per idea it has that sort of raw splash of amazing power i i yep i'm gonna use a culinary i'm using a, a food reference here i mean novels like this are kind of like a, a panettone an italian christmas cake which is okay. not, not 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 a lot it's not a large cake but it's rich and dense and thick and you can't eat a large it because it's just so much to it and this, this is yeah. like I didn't really? even realize this was short. Like I thought it was kind of. Oh, it's so short. Yeah, it felt yeah. like so much went on. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. That's, that's it's 175 pages. Wow. Which is nothing, right? That's that's uh, it's barely a novel classified today. Yeah, it's all. It's all. You don't see books this this thin. Thin anymore? No. I mean, 100. Yeah, if you try to turn a manuscript this size to an editor, they say, well, you need to be longer or Go shorten it and make it a novella. I mean, this we can't uh, sell this. Yeah, this is the but yeah, this was the first winner of the Hugo Award for best novel. Oh yeah, it's what gave, it made me think the Hugos had a reputation because when I I read this and I said, oh, I'll read this. It's it's got a Hugo Award. I'm like, oh my god, this is what Hugos are like. <laughs> <laughs> so I started reading some more and guess what? They're not all like that. <laughs> Alas, no. Um, they had to create the Hugo Award for this book, is what really happened, right? <laughs> is that it just is so, so powerful. Yeah, there is a lot of creepy stuff going on in this book. Um, it, the, there's um, reading about you know how Barbara is when she's a baby, or uh, an adult baby, or whatever it is. Like, yeah. Is is like she's lying there dead, but she's not dead. She's breathing, and so wow. <laughs> oh yeah, there's so many weird things. The women are all strange in this book. Like they're 
Who's the yeah. the lady yeah. that hosts the party and she's got like the um was it like oh, a yeah, pneumatic the, body the, or something? The, the gilded yeah. corpse. The gilded corpse. And all she wants to do is just like find someone to shag her constantly. Like she's just looking yeah. around. <laughs> Who's interested she, in my body? Yeah. It is it it, it feels like the nineteen fifties projected into the future because it's it's like a weird dinner party. I was reading uh there's a uh, a book called Redemolished, and inside of that there is a uh, an essay by Bester on how to how he writes novels or how novels are written, oh. and he talks about uh, writing the Demolished Man, and uh, it, w- one of the things that he said that the book came about and it's dedicated to him to uh, Horace Gold. Um, who is H.L. Gold, I think is his uh, more common name. Okay. But he was the editor of Galaxy Magazine. And Galaxy Magazine um, was a he, pretty huge deal in science fiction, is sort of an alternative to Astounding, which was a big magazine uh, for science fiction. It was the big magazine after Amazing. Um, and the thing about Astounding was that the editor there, again, had a huge influence on what, science fiction was written and he what's so funny is he was always insisting uh psychic powers were real and that we should talk about them a lot in science fiction stories because that's the future uh who was that uh that was um i want to say hugo grinsback but that's not that's the editor of amazing uh wasn't um, um oh wasn't uh what's his name was it um the the oh uh, I'll just type it. I'll just look it up. Yeah. It's astounding. Um, editor. There we go. He he was a very major. Campbell. John W. Campbell. Oh, there right, you go. Of course. Campbell. Okay. That's right. So he's also got the guy oh, who yeah. turns Scientology into. Uh, he's really her. esoteric. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense because that I guess that's kind of why this ESP kind of stuff gets put in with science fiction all the time still. Yeah. Because like, yep. it's not really, but. No, it's not at all. Science fiction was still just a baby. But on the other hand, you you have to remember that um, after World War II, right? The there's tons of money for the military, right? Tons and tons of money, and for decades, the CIA and various you know DARPA sort of agencies were working on this remote viewing. Yeah, right. Tons, spending tons of money. Uh, on this because it was su- such a great technology. If you can, you know, think of think of what you could do with it, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not completely out of the nowhere because people do, a lot of people do think that they have these sort of premonitions. They mm-hmm. or you know they um, think that they have psychic powers in extremists, just like. Um, you know the the power of uh, jaunting in in, uh, in in stars my destination. Yep. In stars my destination, it, it it was learned in extremists, right? You're in mortal death. The only way to survive is to escape, and the way to do that is by um, teleporting. Yeah. Teleporting, right? Because so, you know you're falling off of a building that's on fire. Um, <laughs> you're, di- you're dying in a spacecraft. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're. Uh, oh, just you're not, you're going to die, and if you don't teleport, you will die. Hmm. But the the thing is, is that's there's no evidence that people actually do teleport. 
Whereas there's tons and tons of anecdotal evidence of people reporting um, psychic stuff Mm -hmm. that is bullshit, but they think it's real. One of my profs at university was telling me a story that he, you know, he believes, which was that when his brother was dying, he got a premonition in the middle of the night or not a premonition, a telepathic message that his brother was dying. Mm -hmm. And he went and woke up. He had this feeling. And then the next morning, he got a phone call from his other brother who said, your brother died in the night. And he did the calculation and turned out it was exactly the same time. (gasps) Right? Yeah. If you had that experience, of course, you're going to say that there might be something to it because you'd be foolish not to. Yeah. It's that whole like that pattern seeking thing where like all the times you had dreams about people that are dying, then it didn't come true. Like, yeah, I have dreams like that all the time and people don't actually die, but you just forget about them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If, If you don't. If you don't track it, like, scientifically, yeah, uh, our brains do this filtering thing that's very useful and also leads us to all sorts of giant mistakes like yeah. uh, religion. <laughs> and uh, I think that, that he, when he turns it into a very regularized and very – what's so it, so strange is that Galaxy is the alternative magazine to Astounding, and yet he takes the very – thing that uh campbell's so obsessed with and says okay 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 let's really do it though right and he says what would a world be like if some people had psychic powers and it isn't like a wish fulfillment power fantasy uh thing like it is with you know slan uh by e.e van vaught which is sort of the other way to go where the main hero is the you know the guy with psychic powers and they're man plus or, you know, homo superior or whatever it is, right? Answer's lands, yeah. Yeah, exactly, which is uh, a really horrible way to go, right? Instead, it says, let's imagine what harsh reality this would do to our society if you could find out whenever somebody's about to commit a crime, you could have them fixed, right? You say, it, it is sort of the minority report thing. Yep, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I was thinking, too. Right. It, that's another sort of Philip K. Dick thingy. But um, when you read through this, you get an experience of a guy trying to defeat a system that is stacked against him, which is you can't murder people anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the Babylon 5 uh, where they've taken all the stuff that's in here and he's thought about it and says, OK, OK, OK. If this was really true, then wouldn't people be angry at the Psy people? Mm-hmm. And in this book, we don't get any sense that everybody, we don't really get a sense of what poor people's lives are like, right? At all. There's no poor people in this book. Yeah. yeah. There's no powerless people. There's only employed uh, people and it, rich people. It, it, and rich people. Yeah. That's the only people we see. Right. But in the Babylon 5 universe, uh, they said, imagine if this, this, this book was true, the demolished man was true. What would actually it be like? There'd be massive hate for huh. and resentment of Psy because they have power that allows them to do things that like they get jobs better than other people. They go into the job interview. They can see what's in the mind of the interviewer and answer the questions correctly. Right. So they have to put them in a sort of a that's what the Psy core is, is it's a it's not 
the guild where it's they have rules and ethics and stuff as much as it's us controlling ourselves until the time we take over the 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 human race and kill off all the mundanes. Oh wow! And so it's a, it's super powerful, uh, and in, it really engages with this this book, and it could be almost like uh, in the same universe. It's pretty amazing. Yep. I'm I'm also now thinking. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of psionics and psi powers in science fiction since the fifties. No. But I'm thinking of um, most recently the best of all possible worlds by Karen Lord has a galactic society where you have some psionics and the psionics tried are somewhat integrated into society. Although a powerful young psionic on a world where there aren't any has, has big problems because he's, his society isn't used to his sort of abilities. I'm also thinking of uh, Julian May and her galactic milieu novels where where we get to see the construction, where we get to see Earth deal with the fact that psionics are psionicists are emerging, and there is a lot of backlash and hate, and fear, and distrust of them until it gets worked out. It gets worked out, I think, a little less bloodily than I think it would in real life. But there is definite tension between those who have the powers and those who don't, and. Yeah, um, and th- and then that goes turns winds up turning to a caste system in the uh, Pliocene novels, where some dis- disaffected individuals wind up going back six million years to a ostensibly uninhabited Earth, only find there's psionic aliens there, and psionic aliens of sort of course put themselves at the top end, but the humans there who have psionics are kind of below them, but above the rest of the herd. So there's definite class struggles between that the aliens, the second tiers, and those who don't have powers and want to uh, upset the whole apple cart. I'm just I'm looking through the names. <laughs> like uh, This book is really weird. Ch- Chuka Frood, Chuka <laughs> right? The Corrupt Brothel Keeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it says, she keeps a bodyguard, a possible friend, companion, lover named Magda. Who has red eyes, laughs continuously, dresses in leather studs, and is apt to attack at the slightest provocation. It sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a role playing game sort of character. <laughs> yes, yeah. Chuka is a latent telepath, a fact that she uses in her fortune telling act in the bizarre basement of the brothel. The building is part of the ba- so like that that whole sequence where we're in the building that used to be like a uh, pottery manufacturing and then had a nuclear explosion and now everything's ceramically beautiful. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> the fires and cool. explosions causes melted glass and pigments from a ceramics factory to flow into the basement, resulting in a multicolored luminescent floor. Yeah. The, it's, it is, it is like a dream weird sort yeah. of sixties, mm-hmm. um, technicolor thingy right yeah and, that stuff they're right. all like that yeah. all the characters are weird in some way weird kino glass. wizard a blind albino leader of an underworld organization employs gimpsters <laughs> hired by reich to help find barbara de courtney eventually wizard is lured into space where he has a accident while traveling with reich accident yes yeah yeah and then uh, duffy wygand and wygand is spelled w-y-g and then the ampersand. Yep. 
The composer of Tensor says the Tensor. Oh my god, that song. <laughs> that song, the song that's in our brains. The jingle that goes into your head, and it's but, true, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe we should go for the entire jingle for our audience. Okay, sure. Okay. Eight, sir, seven, sir, six, sir, five, sir, four, sir, three, sir, two, sir, one. Tensor said the tensor. Tensor said the tensor. Tension, apprehension, and dissension have begun. Yeah. I also like that dissension is like going down. Right? It it it, it sort of fits. How how's he feeling? He's feeling tense. Yeah. <laughs> how how should we go? Tensor. <laughs> He's getting more stressed, more stressed. Yeah, the pressure keep going on him. I mean, it works for a while. It's 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 a it's a clever uh, idea. And now, okay, I'm going to tie in on yet another uh, n- another uh, media property. There's a Doctor Who, Doctor Who in the third Doctor. The um the Master winds up in one episode mind controlling his companion Joe, mm-hmm. and in a subsequent episode, he tries it again on Joe, but Joe's got Joe has a has a has a rhyme going through her head and it frustrates the master and she, she's got like the smirk on her so he's like you can't read my mind because I hmm? yeah it frustrates the master and that uh, she managed to outsmart him like they fool me twice. The the version in Babylon Five is uh, Mary had a little lamb. So Mary had a little lamb. Her fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, her lamb was sure to go. They just keep repeating that in their heads. Um, it. it it's funny that, that that jingles, right? This sort of the thing that is very 1950s, you know, radio ads. Um, that's where uh, Bester made most of his writing. It was actually for radio drama. Oh, is it right? That's right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, so he he knew, and he I was saying in that, uh, and probably never finished it, but in that uh, article about him writing the Demolished Man, he was saying a, a lot of the things that are in the book are either a combination of him talking with Horace Gold, the editor of Galaxy, or just coming out of his own life and these strange observations. So the party scene where everybody's a psychic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the That, he says, is, is sort of when he would go to a party and everybody is in the business, right? Everybody is you know, an actor or producer or, and they're using all these shorthand terms that nobody, uh, who's outside of that would understand. And then, Ah. and then some, you know, visitor from the Midwest would come into the party and say, Hey folks, how you doing? And they, they would be completely isolated and out of the picture in the same way that if you were at a psychic party, everybody's making all these jokes in your mind. Right? right and introducing each other and the room is completely silent oh that's so interesting very, very much is. isolating people who aren't part of that crowd yeah so when when uh, jerry church talks about how um and, and there was a very it's a throwaway line but it's used to explain but i also think it's freaky and probably scary too um is that when the old deaf mutes right mm-hmm. uh he's explained to reich uh, they would live in their societies and then, uh, some other deaf mutes came up with a rack, a racket where they would blackmail, uh, the wealthier members and into either you pay us or we will ostracize you. That it was, we will shun you and pretend you don't exist. And 
they would just pay because nobody can be without their community, right? No man's an island. Right. And that really is interesting because that's exactly where Ben is, right? Ben Reich is completely isolated because even his manservant, you know, the the valet outside the room, he's always saying to himself, make your enemies on purpose, right? Yep. Nothing he does is, you know, motivated by friendship he has no friends. He has employees. Yeah, he's an awful man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, I mean, you you had tweeted at me earlier, at both of us, about William Eggers from Babylon Five. Right. But even William Eggers is was more of a more of a sympathetic guy than Ben Reich is. Ben 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 Reich Ben Reich's just a greedy, uh, avaricious uh, jerk. He's a- Mag- and he didn't earn his money, you know, like Donald Trump. I was thinking about <laughs> Donald Trump a lot during this, but oh god, uh, oh yeah, he'd play again. <laughs> is is it's not like Ben Reich earned all this money on his own, right? He started rich, he kept he kept the money up. Uh, his dad is also the richest guy in the universe, even if he doesn't acknowledge it to himself, right? Um, that his his company is just above that, um, but. The fact that he's so, so completely isolated that when he goes in for that embrace of his father, he has to kill him, right? It's it's very strange because the father, we don't know he's the father at the beginning of that hug, right? But they're hugging right. each other, right? He's 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 saying dad, but he's got a gun in his dad's mouth. <laughs> yeah. And I think the the other cool thing is that we, you know, how we are not ignorant of who the murderer is, but we aren't fully uh, a party to all of his plans either. Yeah. So when when we find out that uh, De Courtney has uh, was eating candy, and then he couldn't have been eating candy because he had a certain cancer that wouldn't allow it, right? Like the throat cancer, right? And it turns out that the bullet that was fired into the father was not a regular bullet. It was a ice gelatin caplet. Yeah. With water or ice in it that shot out the back of his head. So there was no bullet, right? Yeah. The technology was really interesting in this because the gun was strange as well, right? It was like a stiletto slash gun slash something else. Oh yeah, so what the, was the name of that thing? Um, it's duster. an Apache. Yeah, yeah, an Apache duster. Or, or, yeah. So uh, in the original magazine serial, it's on the cover of the first issue of the Galaxy that it was serialized in. It shows the gun, and it looks very much nothing like what it actually is because it's a mid twentieth century gun, you know, a relic. But these are, it's a. Knuckle duster, right? So it's a uh, uh, brass knuckles. Ah, oh, those things actually nine. exist. Yeah, it was like a invented in the 19th century in France or oh something. Oh my god, that's so weird. And it's got um, it's it's a revolver, it's a, a knuckle duster, and it's also a knife. <laughs> god, <laughs> humans like, are weird. Why do we make these things? Compact death, right? Yeah. Um, but apparently these guns were so dangerous that. Because it's so compact that there's no even trigger guards, so you could accidentally shoot yourself. So typically, what they did was they left the full, first chamber empty. Mm. Um, 
when he goes to shoot his dad, he actually misses the first time, right? And then has to shoot again. And there was no mention. So, like, if we're paying very, very close attention to uh, the investigation that Powell's doing, we should be noticing all the things that aren't there that should be there, like the bullet hole in the wall. Right? Mm-hmm. They, there's no mention of a bullet hole in the wall. And the reason there's no mention is because there was no hole. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Clever. So it, what's what's I like about this book so much is that it – the closer you read it, sort of the better it pays you. Yeah, and I, I think wanted that's that. why maybe it's just not the right audiobook uh, book for first audiobook. Yeah, but I, I feel like I could go through and just pick out a million more themes uh, that are in here. Like the, we go to Venus, we go to Mars, we go to this spaceland space place. <laughs> it's huge, right? It's it. It, it, it just breezily done, yeah. It's like so breezily done. It would have been a whole uh, novel for or series for. Oh, oh God, yeah. This book would be like a six hundred page doorstopper for it today. Uh, uh, but that wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't do nearly half the stuff. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't do half half his stuff or half as well in most cases. Yeah, it packs it packs a punch. And and the fact that we do like Lincoln Powell, even though. Yeah, he does. He has an alternate personality, dishonest Abe that goes around lying to people. I on like purpose. dishonest Abe. It's yeah, my favorite part of him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think that's the the scary part is that we kind of like Reich, even though he's a monster, and we like Lincoln Powell more, even though he is way more dangerous in a certain way. Well, well and considering is, what he does to, does to the daughter, yes, he is absolutely scary, and I can see how they took that and made it turn into 11 and turned him into Alfred Bester in, in mm-hmm. Babylon 5. Like, let's, let, okay, Lincoln Parle has a dark side. Let's make that the front, let's foreground that. Yeah, and he's got that poor woman who who's living with him, who's totally in love with him, and he's just like, eh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I might marry you. I'm not really sure about that. Just yeah. let her, leave her hanging. Mind you, it yeah. seems like all the women in this are kind of in love with the men who are mean to them. I guess that's yeah. like a fifties thing as well. Like punch me oh. around and the, the Duffy one. She's always wanting to get beaten and <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that kind of kind of reminds me of uh, kind of reminds me of uh, coming attract the women in coming the story coming attraction. You know the library story. Oh right, I've I read that years ago. Have you read that one, Marissa? No. It's it's a it's a post nuclear war story set in quasi ruined New York City and. All the characters are terrible, and the the, the the woman's alluring the man, but she likes to get beat up by her boyfriend. Yeah, it's it, it's very it's the same sort of. Uh, very, Is it the same era? Like the yeah, written? yeah. I think yeah, mid fifties. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's actually a parody of Mickey Spillane as well. Is it supposed to be okay? I, yeah. I missed that in the time. It's uh, which is pretty hard to do because Mickey Spillane is. He's sort of parody proof and that you, you're just sort of saying, look, I'm doing Mickey Spillane because he's, he's, he is, his main character is like, he just, yeah. We, we talked about this in, uh, a, a few shows back. Remember, uh, the man who japed? Oh, right. The, yes. Right. The shot her in the groin, right? Yeah. And everywhere. It's like ridiculously over the top violence. Yep. That's how it actually is, right? In those books. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the the just the the 
weirdness that comes up in every time we meet a new character. They've got, they've got like their whole world is completely strange and we're just following like the one little thread all the way through. I think you could totally spend years, years just reading and spending time in any of these planets or any of the, we, we just go to New York, you know, basically is the only place on earth we go to, but that is a weird place. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, 1950s New York in uh, 300 years from now, but still it's, yeah. it's weird. That, that is still a foreign country to us. Totally. I love that. Um, the future computer as well. Right. It's like the big, it fills yeah. the whole room and it's got like typewriter hands. <laughs> yeah. Punch card, punch cards, but in, and it needs enough information to be able to come up with the case. I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole story in that, that computer and the use of those computers mm-hmm. that we only get tiny fraction of. I mean, as yeah. we're following the rest of the thread, it's just like we're seeing these glimpses, walking down this corridor towards the end, we're seeing glimpses into, oh, there's the gilded corpse, there's the strange computer, there's, there's Powell as, as dishonest Abe, and we just see these glimpses back and forth as we're rushing through this corridor. At, Towards uh, towards demolition. Yeah, that's true. And I'm just reading the Wikipedia. It's very good entry here. It says, uh, "Old Man Mose is the mosaic multiplex prosecution computer." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Of the district attorney's office, it appears briefly after Powell believes he has completed the case against Reich. The machine is, in the lo- words of one character, kittenish. Humorously, humorously printing out apparently nonsensical legal language when it's first switched on. Its uh, its hardware and actions are described as if it were a person. All major cases have been reviewed by Mose. Initially, the machine rejects the case for insufficient documentation of passion motive. This is another indication that Reich's motives were not what he thought. Mose is persuaded to focus on the profit motive and produces a favorable prediction. So it's it, it it's like they. They've turned over part of their society to uh, espers. They turned over part of their society to it's it it, it is like ca- a more of a caste system. Yeah. yeah, I love that they describe that computer as kittenish as well. Like that's yeah. so funny. When I read that, I was like, when I heard that, I thought, are we talking about the computer or a man? Like, <laughs> so cute. It is. It is very, very. I. I, I can't say, you know, you go into the book and you say, oh, it's so fun to hang out with this nice guy, Mr. Reich. <laughs> he's not nice. He's horrible. Yeah. Um, but he's compelling. Yeah, and no yet, one's really that nice. Everyone's kind of. No, everybody's sort of, yeah. They're, they're, they're all damaged motivated. or mean or weird. Um, the other the other thing I wanted to tell you, you know, that game in mm-hmm. the book. Sardine. Um, yeah, Sardine. Sardine. Um, there is a, a story uh, by A.M. Burridge uh, called Smee, S-M-E-E. It's a ghost story. Um, this is a this is a party game from the like late 19th century. I guess that's when it's mentioned in the book. Uh, the book is from um, book of part you know sort of party games before I guess TV or I don't know whatever it else is people do at parties, um, drinking maybe. But uh, the the game is not always called sardine but it is it's a game of hide and seek where at the end one person is alone right mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. the the last person and they're it. Um, so in the game in the book called or the story called Smee, um, the they are at a party. They count out, out how many people there are, and then they um, all go looking for the missing person, right? Right. Uh, but the at the end, you're supposed to say uh, when you meet somebody, you say, "Is that you?" And you say, "Yes, it's me." Right. It's, okay. It's, so yes, that's the me. thing. And it's a, in the in the story, Smee, it's a ghost who's playing the game with them. Um, and so they sort of end up in two groups. <laughs> but and so the numbers are off. And that's the kind of fun part about it. But in here, who ends up alone? It's Ben Reich. Yep. Right. Everybody's together in a group. Right. And he finally finds them. And everyone's together and naked. Yeah, and his clothes covered in dripping blood from the <laughs> murder he's done. And, and their and their reaction is, well, you you still have your clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> not, no mention about the blood at first. Like, you have your clothes on. You're, you're cheating. I love that whole scene. I love the idea of like a bunch of adults playing that game, naked hide and seek. <laughs> it's <laughs> weird. And they have the lights off, right? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it it's so cool that it parallels what happens in that world where. You know, the fake uh, solipsistic world that's created in his mind, right? The the channeling of all those telepaths. There's a uh, a speech. Sort of at the end of the book, there's a sort of a wrap-up. Here, here's how I did it, right? He says to the – Lincoln says to his boss, and he says, you know, I channeled the energy who's not a – his boss is not a uh, psi, right? He's just a regular – mundane (laughs) um he says this is how i did it and he says i channeled the energy of the latent energy of a bunch of telepaths and we all i i was the conduit through which i created this delusionary world for uh reich and then i took away bit by bit made the world smaller and smaller until he finally had to face the man with no name and that Sort of releases him. He admits the uh, murder, and then demolition can happen. Right? He's been completely deconstructed. Um, and then, as soon as that meeting's over, what does he say? He says, "Well, I couldn't tell him the truth." And I don't know if you guys caught that, but no, no, he's do- he was doing the dishonest Abe thing to his boss, and he- we were buying it the whole time. Huh. Huh. There's so much of that in this book. Like wow, it, yeah. Like this kind of like skepticism kind of thing where it's all about don't believe what you're told and you've got to get like admissible evidence and get actual proof, objective proof. And and then he goes off and takes the girl. And the most horrible thing on the very last page, right before the uh, – in the endless universe where there's nothing new, nothing different, right – uh, right before that, we get Powell looking at Ben. He says, I'm going to read read this part. Just a minute, Powell called. He turned to the stone bench, picked up the mysterious parcel, and unwrapped it. It was one of the Sucre et Si, most magnificent candy boxes. He carried it to the demolished man and held it out. It's a present for you, Ben. Take it. Then this is so horrible. 
The creature lower, lowered at Powell and then at the gift box. At the last, clumsy, at last, clumsy hands came out and took the gift. Why, damn it, it's just a nursemaid, Powell muttered. We're all the, we're all of us just nursemaids in this crazy world. Is it worth it? And then, out of the chaos in Reich came an explosive fragment. Powell peeper. Powell friend. Powell friend. It was so sudden, so unexpected, so passionately grateful that Powell was overcome with warmth and tears. He tried to smile, then turned away and wandered across the lawn towards the pavilion in Barbara. Listen, he cried in exultation. Listen, normals. You must learn what it is. You must learn how it is. You must tear the barriers down. You must tear the veils away. We see the truth. You cannot see that there is nothing in man but love and faith, courage and kindness, generosity and sacrifice. All else is only the barriers of your blindness. One day we'll all be mind to mind and heart to heart. I think what this means is that he was the villain the whole time. Hmm. Because he's completely destroyed Ben Reich, torn him down, right, completely, yet he didn't murder him, so he doesn't go to jail, right? And he has even made Powell, uh, Reich think of Powell not as an enemy in the same way that in Babylon 5, um, we talked about William Edgars, right? Right. Who, you were saying he was a, um, he was a sort of a nicer version of Ben Reich. Yeah. And that's kind of true because it, it turns out that Ben Reich, or sorry, William Edgars, he's employing Garibaldi to uh, help him transport some goods. The goods turn out to be a virus that will kill all telepaths unless they uh, Get the obey. antidote. Yeah. Right, unless they, yeah. And then the thing is, is William Edgars, when he says this and he explains his plan, he suddenly realizes what he says. He says, this will solve the uh, telepath problem once and for all. And then he turns to sort of look inward he realizes he just said, you know, I'm Hitler, right? I'm doing the extermination camps. Yeah. Uh, and so we get that sense of, oh, shit, he's just realized, which this is something that Reich never does, right? He, Yeah, he never has that realization of what he's trying to do. Whereas right. Eggers has that has that moment of self-awareness. It's like, right. Yeah. He, he doesn't stop him. But, it, yeah, he is realizing that it's it's a war between humans and telepaths and in that all-out war he's a monster, but at least he feels bad about it. Now, Powell here, he completely destroys, uh, Bester, I'm sorry. Right. Reich completely destroys Reich, turns him not into an enemy, but a friend, makes him call him friend. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you, uh, remember Paul, um, Garibaldi was completely manipulated. Like there's a whole thing. Yeah. Thread where he, He's kidnapped and disappears for a few episodes. And when he comes back, he doesn't remember what happened to him. It turns out he's been planned. Controlled by Bester. Yeah. Yeah. He's been controlled by Bester. But at the end, he, when he, he is, Bester reveals all to him. On the train. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, And there's this scene where he explains everything that's happened to Garibaldi that we didn't know what happened to him. But we got some hints about how he has an artificial personality that's been tweaked and controlled by 
by uh, by Bester. Bester. And, and by Harlan Ellison. I love right and that Harlan was, Ellison that was, is a that, psychop. Right, that, that was wonderful. I loved that. So the thing is, is at the end, right? He he tries to confront uh, that is Garibaldi tries to confront uh, Bester, and he points a gun at him, and he can't shoot him. He's it, it, the implant inside of him keeps all his rage and anger right well, at least, but okay. the inability to to hurt to Bester. go through with it and it destroys him right garibaldi turns into you know he starts drinking again and it, it in the same way that the bester character in babylon 5 is evil powell i think is secretly evil even mm-hmm. though we feel like he's the hero. Yeah. And he's portrayed as the hero, but he has such dark hidden agendas. But he's manipulating us right at the end, right? Damn. Yeah. Maybe because Rag is just such an asshole that you We're just kind of... Yeah, you're his, distracted yeah. by him. The, the, the evil to oppose the, the greater evil the greater evil of Reich getting uh, economic dominance, which puts me in the mind of um, Inception, mm-hmm. where... where the plot of Inception, sorry for the spoilers, is that that a, a business a business rival is trying to just trying to uh, get the son son's mind changed about keeping control of his father's fortune because his father's fortune will make the the son too powerful and give and, and, and energy down it's a, a a global superpower and this is bad and so he wants the, the son's mind changed and that's and hence hangs the tale of Inception of going to his mind to do that nightmare hmm. but uh, i'm reading at the end here it says but this is not the pain this is not the dread of the demolition the horror lies in the fact that the consciousness is never lost that as the psyche is wiped out the mind is aware of a slow backward death until at last it too disappears and awaits the rebirth the mind bids an eternity of farewells. It mourns at the endless funeral. And in those blinking twitches of Ben Reich, Powell saw the awareness, the pain, the tragic despair. Ooh, ow. Yeah. <laughs> he is a bad guy. He's He murdered somebody. But remember what Powell's secret wish was? Uh, not Powell's secret wish. Um, De Courtney's secret wish. No. You know, everybody has a, a life wish and a death wish. He wanted to die. He was oh, suicidal. Yeah. Right, right. Because he decided, oh, well, maybe, was, maybe he killed himself. No, it wasn't guns. He it was, was too poison. afraid yeah. to kill himself. His son did the only thing that his father really wanted. Ah, interesting. It's, it's like, actually, it's just a, the tragedy here is that that they couldn't have, you know, he was. they were too alone. Two, two alone and then facing each other in a Freudian father-son death grip. And, 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 and he, he, even, even I mean, I mean the whole cold thing, the father was ready to sell to the son. He, he was ready to give it up, and the son just misinterpreted it all. And, you know, like the relationship that Reich has to Barbara, he, he doesn't want her killed. He, we don't know, he doesn't explain why he doesn't want her killed, but the psychic connection that he, the premonitions that he's having make me think that on some level, Ben Reich is also a telepath because he, 
he doesn't kill her. He has the opportunity to, he says, uh, you know, track her down for me, find her for me, but he doesn't. Say, so, yeah, don't eliminate her for me. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't want her killed exactly. He <laughs> wants. But doesn't her, Powell explain that at the end? Doesn't he say that it's like some kind of, he recognizes he her? He does, but we also know that everything he says is a lie. Oh, he yeah, tells that's true. That the <laughs> yeah. Right? He says he just. He makes up whole. He, when we first meet him, he makes up whole incidents, makes up fake cops, and so when he's doing that report to his boss, <laughs> nothing we can hear about it is trustworthy. Huh. I think you're right that this is one of those books that, like, the more you read it, the better it's just going to get. Like, the more. I think, I think so. Yeah. The more things connect up. You can feel the power in it, but knowing what what's at work, it's sort of needs you need to Unspool. go into analysis <laughs> yeah you need to unspool it and then you start seeing everything yeah yeah that's so true okay we'll just get better with rereadings i think i'm gonna have to reread it in paper again yeah i want to read it yeah in too now me too I have to because it does work it does work as an uh, i think the audiobook is one of the one of the best audiobooks uh it's very well narrated yeah who was that guy actually Do you his know? name is joe dunlop Ah, oh, it was so good. I know. Um, it's it seems to be still available too. It's uh, the website for it is called Isis Audiobooks, which is kind of an unfortunate name these days. These days, yeah. <laughs> it was produced by Oasis, which I think was the you know an imprint of that, and it was from 1989. Tells you that's an old audio. Well, yeah, because they, they talk about flipping sides and stuff. Yep, yeah, it's cassettes. I love it's still, that. It's still sale as tapes i loved how it was kind of crackly and old and it was you could hear the tape hiss. yeah that was lovely it, it gave it an old-time feel kind of like yeah old it totally old. worked with this with the story oh and he's a he, he does a really good job with reich um as the you know the voice and when when those dialogue scenes when he first starts using tensor said the tensor the interjection of what on the page would just be text of of uh, one character asking questions and him repeating that phrase to himself mm-hmm. two sir three sir right <laughs> just sort of inter we that's a really good sign of good narration right is yeah. when you know who's talking yeah that was amazing yeah. this has been the sff audio podcast Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.